Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Salute. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingwell of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwell of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I did a surprising thing at a live show. I think it caught you off guard. I I regret doing it. (laughs) I introduced you before me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we usually go on stage and say our names. Yeah. But you said my name. And then I had to say your name. I wanted to set the tone that anything could happen. (laughs) Leave your preconceptions at the door. Did you regret it because I didn't pick the ball up and run with it? I felt felt like I picked the ball up. I thought you grabbed that ball. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't regret it at all. I thought it was a great tone setter. Okay, good, good. We've been having a ton of fun on the road. Good shows all over the East Coast. Yeah, a little peek behind the pod. Uh, We've just returned from a week out with four shows in the previous week, like the week just before yeah. this episode drops, we will have just come back from St. Louis and Austin. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will have had tremendous, super successful shows in those places, I am sure. Yeah, it's no doubt. <laughs> I mean, what we can promise is fun. They've all been really fun. <laughs> At some point on tour, you said that uh, you were like reminding me to like get my gear before we left the 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 venue or something. Uh-huh. And I was like, thanks. I probably would have forgotten that if you hadn't reminded me and you were like, I'm here to remind you to get all your shit and you're here to remind me that this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a that was a pretty spot on statement, was that not? No, I I I agree. It just makes me a little bit sad that sometimes you forget that this is fun. I mean, it sometimes makes me sad that you sometimes forget stuff. That, that's what makes us the uh, the yin and yang of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It's more fun for me when we have all our shit. <laughs> yeah. It runs in my family. My my father is a, a thing forgetter, mm-hmm. and I, like him, am a thing forgetter. Yeah, yeah. One time my parents drove down here from the Bay Area, and they uh, they have an electrical car, so they had to stop somewhere and charge. And my dad left, like, two of their suitcases. Why don't you leave the car on charge? (laughs) My dad left two of their suitcases at the charging station, like, three hours north of L.A., and they didn't find out till they got to L.A., so he had to drive all the way back up there and get them. The logistics of this baffle me, because the idea of getting the suitcases out while you're waiting to charge, like, I get that. Maybe you've got something in your churlatry bag back Mm -hmm. there you need to retrieve. But leaving them out there? Like, this suggests that you set the luggage away from the car in such a way that you would not see the luggage when you left your spot. Yeah, I don't know how it happened either, but it's, you know, it's not not me. I can't can't (laughs) drag my dad for this behavior because for sure, 100%, whatever the gene that determines leave a suitcase somewhere, I have. Do you think that's uh, that's nature and not nurture? I think it's a hundred percent nature. I don't. I, <laughs> it, it gave me so much anxiety growing up. All of the things getting lost all the time. 
Yeah. Uh, God, and like all, all the being late. I didn't get the being late gene. My dad has yeah. the being late gene also. Like the, uh, oh yeah, we got plenty of time. And then like, I don't think we walked into a movie theater not mid previews rolling. End credits. My entire childhood. <laughs> like I never saw like all of the previews oh, until dang. I started going to the movies myself. Oh, and and that was like peak preview time. Yeah. In yeah. those days. Yeah, back when it would be like, in a world. <laughs> back when you got like three previews, and now you can count on like a half an hour of previews. It's This is perfect for your dad's situation. Yeah, n- no, the world has, has changed to accommodate him, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it drove me absolutely crazy, <laughs> you know. Uh, the world did not change to accommodate a character on the show we're here to talk about, Ben. No, no. And she's pissed. She's very cranky. Very interesting episode of Star Trek Voyager today. But uh, I think we should uh, stop dancing around it and get right into it. Yeah, let's let's put our hands on the core of this episode, Ben. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 6, Episode 23, Furry. Rebirth course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> this cold open really gives you a sense of how many gears Kate McGrew has. <laughs> I really love this because she is so pissed. You rarely see her this pissed that it kind of gives away the ending a little bit. Yeah, like, you could see her being this mad at, like, Tom Paris. Uh-huh. Or even maybe Chakotay. But this amount of pissed, it's like trying to snap a connects onto a, a Lego, <laughs> you know? They're not designed for each other, her being this pissed at Tuvok. Ben, I really don't know if this happens, but if Tom Paris ever gets his pit back... Will his cake look like a giant pip? <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> that golden fondant. <laughs> super flat top and sharp corners. Looks like a tough one to replicate. This was always something that I feel like Tom and Harry were hassling Tuvok about. Like when, like how old he is and when his birthday is. Yeah, they did foreshadow this a little bit. People have been wondering. But uh, it took Janeway. And her brilliant mind of a scientist to get to the bottom of it. So, it's not long before you hit the big three digits, hmm? Indeed. Are birthdays always measured the same, both from the base and also how many orbits your planet takes around its sun? Oh. And wouldn't that suggest that ages aren't really a number Hmm. in the same way that they are here? Yeah, I don't know. It's really weird that she does a human birthday ritual at him. To celebrate her finding out about his birthday. You must believe things are as important as I do. (laughs) Otherwise, we can't be friends. The shocking revelation is that he's one. (laughs) (laughs) He's just got that one birthday candle. You know, in an episode about Cass, that's real fun. (laughs) I guess Vulcan really takes its time getting around that star. (laughs) Yeah, it's a slow mover. (laughs) This is one tall candle sticking out of this erotic boob cake. I guess that's an Andorian boob cake. Hi, welcome to Sexy Cakes, the erotic bakery. Oh, yeah. When uh, Janeway leaves him behind, you know he's just going to rub his own face into that thing. (laughs) You're supposed to blow out the candle. That is not a Vulcan custom. 
Because is that the promise of the erotic cake? Is that you're going to mess around with it? I don't know. I still don't know. Yeah, it's very sexy. I've never even been in a room with an erotic cake. Mostly when I see videos of them, it's people sitting on them, though. Right. Is that what vor is? <laughs> I still don't know what vor is. Um, I'll tell you when you're older. I was really stressed for Tuvok having to like leave that cake in Janeway's office when they come out to the bridge. Like nobody has an eyeline to it, but I wanted Chakotay to be like, "Oh, what's the cake for? Who? What are we celebrating?" They definitely smell the candle smoke, right? Yeah. How could they not? They can smell it on the bridge, and they're like, "God." Did Janeway really just take a dump in her ready room? <laughs> did the old match trick get rid of the stink? She did it with Tuvok in there? Happy birthday. Weird. Yeah. So they're called out onto the bridge. They've got a distress signal from a, an incoming vessel that has one Ocompan aboard. Yeah, we don't see many of those. Not way out here. Yeah. So they get uh, a hail from this vessel. And on screen appears Burlap Kess. <laughs> you treat Voyager like a lady. <laughs> She'll always bring you home. <laughs> she seems real tired. She's doing like that droopy eye thing. Maybe she's high. Maybe she's like totally baked. <laughs> Is that why her eyes are drooping like that? Please, let me come aboard. We had such a weird rideshare driver while we were out on tour. Like, as soon as we get inside, he's like, hey, pay no mind to my crazy bloodshot eyes. I promise I'm not high. (laughs) (laughs) I had not looked at this man's eyes. I mean, I know that that sort of betrays that I don't really look people in the eyes much. Uh But I had not considered that he might be high until he started talking about how he wanted us to not worry that he was high. Yeah, I feel like that that could have been an angle that old Kess takes here. Yeah, yeah. The pace of this scene is really amazing, right? Because you see her and you aren't in that that shock of, oh my God, it's old Kess. She's old. What the hell happened to her face? Yeah. Before she's like, I gotta come aboard. No time to explain. And then like as they're even thinking about the idea of this, she zooms on in there. Yeah. Right on in there. How old do Ocompans get? Is this like realistic amount of aging for an Ocampa of her age? There's a couple scenes with Naomi Wildman that make me think, like, if she's aware of how fast Kess ages, and if she were ever to encounter old Kess, that would be traumatizing, right? (laughs) I'm going to look like you in like five years? (sighs) (laughs) the ship is facing them uh, as she makes this request to to beam aboard and they're like yeah yeah yeah. we'll get the like docking ring ready so that you can uh you can connect up but she just speeds up crashes into the ship and we get a really amazing effects shot of her walking down a hallway after having like wedged her ship into the front of voyager presumably She's doing that thing where she's freshening up the hallway behind her like Mm -hmm. it's an action movie. Freshening up the hallway as she goes. Very scary. After the theme, the bangers haven't stopped and they're actually like growing on all decks. They get worse and worse, but they're like, oh, thank God. She's headed right for the warp core, which is where we keep our most dangerous things. So nothing bad is going to happen. 
this scene where she walks through a force field, I think really says a lot in a very short amount of time about just how powerful she is. Like even more than than causing all the freshening up, that was the moment to me that was like, she's not going to be taken down by phaser rifles or anything. Yeah. It's clear she's very powerful from all of these scenes, but because she's wearing a robe and she's old, it's also clear she's very cold. Mm, yeah, she's chilly as hell. She's angrily heading to the thermostat. <laughs> Does anyone have a blanket? <laughs> she makes it to the warp core and, uh, you know, easily disarms Seven and BLT and uh, gets over to the core itself and, like, puts her hands right on it. The warp core is sharing its power with her and she's gaining strength from the sharing. BLT runs over and tries to like shut the warp core down or something and catches some warp lightning for her trouble. Yeah. Kess is glowing while touching and eventually disappears. And Seven, you know, radios up to the bridge like, hey, so some bad news. Uh, Kess has disappeared and BLT is dead. RSVP. Now, Seven and BLT haven't gotten along for the entire run, right? There has to be a little bit of Seven that's like, oh, so that happened. <laughs> hmm. Did you detect, like, relief or uh, or sadness on Tom Paris's face at this moment? That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. Paris does not volunteer to leave his station at this moment. Because it's like a, it's kind of a blank-faced, like, look up and absorb this news but it's not a like absorb this horrible news necessarily (laughs) am i making any sense here you could kind of read it as as paris is like man like i'm gonna give one of those delaney sisters a call i think he's such a pro though Mm. he didn't even leave his post (laughs) while the others fled he stayed at his post so we cut back to engineering now and Cass reappears and she's still all burlappy mm-hmm but then she like backs away from the warp core and the burlap disappears and she's got like a, a season one Kess outfit on. Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Do it. There are some parts of this episode that aren't easily penetrable due to its visual language, but mm-hmm. I really liked this sequence. The, like, Kess disappears, Kess reappears in the same place. And, like, the the context change is just Janeway Bun and <laughs> and BLT being alive. Yeah, and I, I like the way the, the time travel part of it is something that you kind of come to understand over time. Like, when BLT walks in, it's not, this is time travel, this is season one. It's like, oh, what's it? Like, what is going on? Like, did this not happen? Did she go to a different, like, version of reality? Are we in Mm -hmm. a different dimension or something? And you start to get a sense of that when BLT, you know, asks her, like, uh, you know, like, what are you doing down here? And she starts talking to her, like, uh, this is season one. Like, oh, yeah, the captain wants me to, like, get a sense of the ship. Cass, what are you doing here? (laughs) <laughs> well, I walked out the Arponics Bay, and I took a left into the corridor, and then a right into the turbo lift, took it down four decks, 
past the guy selling navel oranges? <laughs> I watched a uh, an interview with Bill Hader about the Californians recently. That oh uh, yeah. He and Fred Armisen had just been doing that as a bit with each other, and then Fred Armisen like went off with another writer and and made it into a sketch. That's fun. And he'd done it like you know his Californians accent uh, every time they'd rehearsed it, and in the in the rehearsal that they shot, but uh, only when they were actually live on air did he really put the the English on. What are you doing here? <laughs> 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 nice long wind up on that one. I love the context of like that entire sketch basically being Armisen pranking Hater live on air. Like, I know you thought we were doing this bit together, but in fact, I uh, I was preparing you. I was buttering you up to make you break while you were live on television. I mean, Stefan was the same way. I wonder how many other favorite sketches were were born as kind of pranks yeah. and someone else. It's fun. <laughs> So uh, when Kess makes it out into the hallway, she asks the computer for the exact time period she's in. And this is 56 days into the Voyager's time in the D-Quad. I think every Starfleet computer should be programmed this way. If you ask what year it is, <laughs> the computer should alert someone that a time travel may have happened. Yeah. It, sh- it should put you in stasis until, yeah. you know, the security people can get a sense of what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so knowing that, uh, that Voyager's been in the D-Quad for 56 days, Angry Kess makes her way to Six Bay and steals a hypo spray from the doctor. A doctor who we are reminded is far more annoying a couple of seasons ago. He's actually tempered out quite a bit. I'm just a hologram after all. He's still doing the thing of trying to come up with a name. Uh, Mm -hmm. He doesn't quite seem to have the same visual acuity of uh, the doctor that can spot the ball under the cup in the three-card Monty uh, because this is very obvious what she's doing with this hypo spray. Maybe he's just incurious. Maybe he sees that she's got the hypo spray, but just doesn't doesn't care. I mean, he's just up in his own head about his own shit. Yeah, he's not noticing. He shares some really curious thoughts about like the relative attractiveness of the Vidians, and maybe like some of them might have really beautiful personalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Kess goes down to the Airponics Bay, which we also haven't seen in a really long time, and there she finds. Like original flavor Cass, who is wearing like basically the same outfit but in brown, like uh, mm-hmm. like one of those species where like the male is like really really colorful and the female is really drab or vice versa. Oh yeah, Cass Prime's plumage is uh, very unsatisfying compared to Angry Cass. Yeah, ang- Angry Cass is the one that does all of the attracting of the mates in this species. She. Does the tukey 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 and then uh, <laughs> hypo sprays Kess Prime to the ground. It's easy. She didn't even see it coming. I think we've established that kaka kaka and tukey tukey don't work. Her next stop is Neelix's restaurant where Neelix is serving some god awful looking burger creation to Tom Paris. I kind of like the look of this greasy Neelix. Gotta say. <laughs> yeah. Do you really need the top bun on a on a burger with a patty that big? 
I don't know. I need the top bun. I want to pick it up and eat it with my hands. I don't want to eat it with a fork and knife like a damn Frenchman. But it looks like there might be an egg on top. It just looks like, it looks like a mess. It looks like a knife and forker to me. I do not believe in a burger that's that's exclusively a knife and forker. I think at that point it stops being a hamburger and becomes something else. Is there argument about naming the burger or that the burger is bad and gross? Because Paris <laughs> walks off with it. I think it appeals to Paris. Paris has the same taste in food as you. Yeah, it's true. We like the same things. Exactly. (laughs) The tension with Kes is so much fun here, right? I think here more than any other scene because there are so many people around who don't know who she actually is. And there's so much affection from Neelix towards someone who could freshen him up at any time. I'm looking forward to tonight. Actually, I have a lot of work to do in the sick bay. But I already reserved the holodeck. It seems so dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, especially with coffee right there. God, how much were you waiting for a coffee to be thrown in someone's face? Coffee to be be weaponized in any kind of way? It was driving me nuts, this whole episode. Her almost smile at the end of the scene is low-key the most terrifying part. Like, this sent a chill up my spine. Especially that Neelix reads it so wrong. Like, yeah. Neelix reads it as restraint from smiling, where Kes's reality is that it's restraint from throwing boiling coffee in Neelix's face. She is really, really mad. Yeah. And uh, she takes this potentially weaponizable coffee and walks off, and we catch Janeway and Chakotay working on the Vidian issue in Janeway's office. Uh, They are the threat du jour. They are worried about running into more of them. She's not going to brook any of his sympathetic Vidian opinions Mm. in this meeting. No. Pretty uncomfortable, some of the stuff that Chakotay says. Yeah, she doesn't throw a coffee at him or anything. When the gut gardeners come, Chicote, I'll make sure to tell them that. <laughs> Sounds great. Kes comes in with coffee and learns of this uh, Vidian threat that the ship is going to be on tactical alert, etc. She spills some coffee as kind of a, a ruse for getting to stay in the captain's office when the captain has to go to the bridge. How many times have we seen and heard this in TV and movies? The intentional spilling of a thing, and then a line of dialogue that is something like, oh, I'm so clumsy from a person who intentionally did it. (laughs) It seems kind of cliche, right? Like, it's a thing. Yeah. Am am I crazy? No, it's it's, it's definitely a trope. If anyone ever tells you, oh, I'm so clumsy, you need to be suspicious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like asking what year it is. It's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) All right. So two new programs we're we're saying should be put into the computer at this point. Yeah, exactly. It's a ruse so that she can stay in the captain's office and I guess look at this this computer. She asks the computer to set it to masturbation protocols as soon as the doors close. (laughs) She just loves the smell of burnt candles. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Best place in the ship to whack it. Um, yeah. Uh, Janeway and Tuvok are actually meeting with Ensign Wildman about an idea for some kind of neural agent that would knock out the Vidians should they board the ship. And uh, they're talking to her about this possibility when Kess comes back out 
uh, looking very satisfied. And as she walks across the bridge... Uh, Flushed, even. Yeah. Uh, Tuvok notices her, and she notices Tuvok noticing her. Yeah. Something is weird. Like, it It smells like even more just struck matches in there. <laughs> So maybe you can use that to cover up the smell of all kinds of other things. Yeah, that'd be great. There's a McLaughlin group. Issue one. With the whole senior staff. Remember the EMH having to be remote for the McLaughlin groups? Both Pepperidge Farm and this episode remembers. (laughs) He's on screen. Yeah. And they're all scheming for their next encounter with the Vidians. Lots of space vacuole talk. You remember space vacuoles, right? I do loosely remember space vacuoles. Remember how much of a pain in the ass they are for navigating? Yeah. It's going to be a problem up ahead. It is. And they're working out this scheme whereby the computer will do a lot of the navigation for them because Paris is just not going to be fast enough. Paris seems to take some umbrage with this. He's a real uh, manual transmission kind of guy. Hmm. And uh, all this talk of cruise control really bums him out. Auto navigation the entire way? Yeah, it's a shame. You know, if this works, you might not have a job, Tom Paris. <laughs> You'll be working in the six bay forever. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're talking about the possibility of having a shuttlecraft out in front uh, helping with the navigation. And Tuvok tosses out, Delta Flyer might be good for that, but with its way better sensors than a normal shuttle. And they're like, the fuck you say? The Delta what? Paris is like, I haven't told anyone about that program (laughs) that I codenamed. That's just been part of my masturbation protocols for a little while now. Camera whips over to Paris. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) What did he say? (laughs) Paris is not going to have any chill about this. Yeah. We don't get to know what he truly thinks. No one gets to know what Tuvok's thinking here. Yeah. It is so unusual for him to pipe up about something that's just wrong or weird. I think it really, it should merit some more scrutiny, right? It should merit a like, hey, let's get uh, the doctor to like wave a medical tricorder at your forehead just to double check everything is screwed on right, you know? If someone had to scan me every time I misspoke or mispronounced anything on this show, all of our records would take like six hours. (laughs) But Tuvok's so precise and exact, I think anytime he he gets out of his lane a little bit, I think that's a good idea. It it would make sense, but but they don't do that. Paris finds Kess in a brat-class shuttle. Just tell him it saves you money, buster. Dicking around with the controls, and she has kind of the same excuse for him here as she did for BLT earlier. Like, oh yeah, like the captain wants me to like learn about the ship. So I'm just getting a sense of like how the navigation controls on a on a brat class might work. This is classic poor tab hygiene here. Like she's got to get another tab open when Paris shows up, right? Yeah. Cause he sees. He sees all of it. Get a boring spreadsheet up. He's not gonna ask. Yeah, But uh, instead, she's got the alluring curves of a navigation plan plotted on the screen that involves the Voyager turning all the way around and going back to Ocampa. This is another scene that reminds me a lot of the scene with Neelix in terms of the character's close proximity. Mm -hmm. Like, 
when Kess was so close to Neelix in the in the mess hall, things feel so much more dangerous. And in the same way, in the shuttle, they're like right next to each other. And Paris is so innocent with his like. You got to remember, this was like the version of Paris that was into Kess quite a bit, and like did not give any fucks about Neelix's uh, relationship with her. Like he was definitely like willing to destroy that uh, if it meant hooking up with Cass once. Yeah, and what he doesn't know is that he could be freshened up at any time, even in the holodeck later where he's invited her to uh, teach her piloting. Yeah. Don't do it, Paris. Don't go in there. <laughs> That's what sucks about like that, that cold open scene is that you can tell she learned how to fly, but not how to dock her shuttle with the Voyager. Right. Should have been suspicious the whole time. Well, some people were, and they tried to report it, but... Yeah. So we get a scene with Tuvok. He's trying to get on the elevator, and Naomi Wildman walks out of it. This was very confusing to me, because I was like, is Tuvok, like, caught between two time periods? Is he, like, living on the ship simultaneously in two time periods or something? Because Naomi Wildman isn't in this era of Voyager. That's a point well made, and I think it's an example of, like, you could either view this confusion as useful to the story and what it's trying to do, or, like, unnecessarily confusing. Right. Because I, too, for a moment thought that he had been blurping between uh, timelines, but that's not really the case. No, she's so he, like, follows her down the hallway, and he makes it into a cargo bay where he finds... Seven of Nine and all the bored kiddos on their charging pads. And uh, what's that, like Lieutenant Carey? Lieutenant Carey? Uh, <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah. I miss Lieutenant Carey. Yeah. If you squint your eyes, he reminds you of O'Brien a little bit. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. That's got to be intentional, right? Yeah. The next scene in Neelix's quarters... It's a rough ride because Kess enters and plays this voicemail message that Neelix left for her. And it is the sort of nauseating voicemail from a partner that like is not for anyone else's ears. It's yeah. just like <laughs> <laughs> it nauseates angry Kess so much she does that jerk the tablecloth under the dishes trick, but there's no tablecloth and all of the dishes fall over. Computer and music. I, again, just cannot believe the restraint this show has with its glass tabletops. I know. I know. <laughs> no freshening up goes on. Instead, she goes over to the computer and reaches out to another ship and uh, finally persuades the person on the other end of the line to pick up. And it's a fucking Vidian. What do you understand the terms of this deal to be really? Like, like on offer is, look, I'm going to give you all of the tactical information on Voyager so that you can dig in those guts. Yeah. In exchange, I want safe passage to the Ocampa homeworld. Is there a reason that you can think of or remember that the Vidians wouldn't want the Ocampa guts? Like, would they spoil too fast because they age so quickly? <laughs> I mean, who knows if this guy is making this deal in good faith, but she can always exactly. freshen him up when she's on board his ship. 
I mean, a way to really break this episode is why doesn't she just freshen everyone up and take Voyager? I don't know. Maybe too hard to work the ship by herself? And she's old. I mean, look at her. She's too old. She can't even see over the steering wheel at this point. She's so old. At the end of this conversation, when the Vidian's like, boy, you sure are pissed at those people on the Voyager. What's up with that? Yeah, like I'm a totally unethical organ harvester, but uh, pardon me for saying so. It seems like you've really uh, got a, a bee under your bonnet about betraying all of your friends. What she says is they abandoned her. Yeah. That's all we get. If you were wondering how uh, Kess Prime was doing, she's being kept in a dresser drawer in the Arponics Bay. Angry <laughs> Kess checks on her in the next scene <laughs> and then like just puts her away. Yeah. Like she's a pile of sweaters. So she, uh, she you know, gives the other Kess a little injection. And then, um, I mean, crucially, when she was talking to the Vidian, she was talking about wanting passage for herself and one other person. Right. And I think that if I had been slightly smarter, it, it would have been obvious to me when it cut right to her taking care of the other cast that that would be the other person. But I instead was like, wow, who's it going to be? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Neelix? <laughs> I mean, you could make the case that she's so angry that it could be one of a number of people. Right. Yeah. So she starts hacking into the tactical database of the Voyager, and we cut up to Janeway's room where she is inspecting her captain's trinkets, and Tuvok is reporting all of these hallucinations he's been having as he walked around the ship. He doesn't know who Naomi Wildman is. God, what a lucky bastard. Uh, He doesn't know who these cybernetically augmented people are. I can't explain it, Captain. Good job by Tuvok, like actually reporting something fucked up yeah. to a commanding officer. This is this is a good Star Trek character right here, doing what you should do in an episode of Star Trek. Shockingly rare in the uh-huh. canon, but he does it. And he's talking to the captain, giving all the details, and he's like, yeah, like I don't think I'm high, you know, and I wouldn't want you to get that sense. My eyes may be red, but I don't drink or do drugs, especially when I'm driving Uber. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? 
especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Such an interesting conversation here when they talk about the distinction between hallucinations and premonitions. Tuvok tells Janeway that, like, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes Vulcans have hallucinations, but we never have premonitions. What's so unusual about what he's saying is that he's pretty sure that he can see the future. Yeah. I think it's Janeway that actually characterizes these as premonitions. And so she, because he's like, he's saying anticipation and she, mm-hmm. she puts the label premonition on it and orders the computer to just like scan around Tuvok continuously all the time. And he's like, Captain, those who would give up freedom for safety <laughs> deserve neither. And She's like, all right, Tuvok, like we've heard the slogans before, but this is for the safety of the ship, not for you specifically. I like your Tuvok impression. It's great. (laughs) Captain, would it be possible to turn off the sensors for when I make poopy? (laughs) Because you don't want these things to be on the whole time, right? There are certain parts of Vulcan biology that we do not share with outsiders. (laughs) Perhaps if when I struck a match, 
the sensors could be turned off. <laughs> A logical plan. So uh, Voyager rolls up on vacuole country, and uh, everyone's on edge about the Vidians and about these hundreds of course corrections that are going to be necessary to uh, traverse the vacuoles. Yeah. And it's pretty clear from Jump, like, it's not going to be a smooth ride. It's going to be, like, one of those rides where the driver is constantly, like, on the gas and the brake. It's just not a comfortable ride at all. It's one of those classic boss that maybe over-delegates moves where Janeway's like, okay, uh, this super stressful, high-stakes maneuvering seems to be well underway. You guys got it from here. I'm going on lunch break. (laughs) Yeah, weird time to leave, Janeway. I'll be in six bay. Adam, speaking of leaving the bridge, uh, Tuvok has another oopsie where uh, he thinks he gets a ship on sensors that might be the ambush that they've been stressing about. And uh, he's like, uh, oh, yeah, like I'm I'm a little under the weather. What do you think, Commander Chakotay? Can I go too? <laughs> ben, to me, Tuvok's observation reminded me of the cold open, though, because this thing had a had a collision course, right? Oh, Yeah. I think that's an important distinction because all of Tuvok's hallucinations or premonitions are like things that happened in that pre-credit scene, right? I guess so, yeah. Or, I guess or, not all of them because the alcove and stuff is is different, but 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 they're things that are like plausibly like they, right. like he doesn't think it's Vidians, I guess. Yeah. Anyways, Janeway makes it down to Six Bay, meets up with Doc Holliday and Ensign Wildman, who are working on this neural agent that will uh, cause the Vidians to fall down, go boom when they come on board. And uh, the doctor and the captain kind of go off in a corner together, and the captain starts sotto voce plying the EMH for information, private medical information about Ensign Wildman. I like this scene. The very real tension between uh, a doctor and someone who isn't the patient. Yeah. She really cuts through the HIPAA bullshit with rank, (laughs) though. (laughs) Yeah, while in the safety of the ship. Yeah. The EMH doesn't ask for any, like, verification on, like, just how would her status of pregnancy bear on the safety of the ship, but... uh, (laughs) He does divulge that uh, Ensign Wildman is pregnant. And uh, Janeway now has a bit of evidence that what Tuvok is going through is not just Tuvok losing it. It's being aware of something that is actually going on in some way. From the doctor's perspective, this has got to feel so weird to like disclose something like this must feel bad. But also, like, it's fairly innocuous. Yeah. And the larger scheme of things to him, but when Janeway wheels around and leaves right away, <laughs> that has got to be a bizarre feeling. Yeah. Damn. What did I, I say? How did she find out? I mean, I know I said something bad, but like, <laughs> yikes. We cut over to Tuvok in, the, in a corridor, and he is straight up like wobbling around, hearing things. He's hearing yeah. like the, the dialogue from the cold open in his mind, and he finally staggers into engineering and when blt asks him what's up he just straight up collapses yeah he sees like the ghostly image of uh burlap kiss killing blt but then he like when he falls over present blt calls in the medical emergency and uh smash cut to tuvok writhing on a bio bed while angry kiss is there like helping 
as a nurse, which is not great. The best parts of this episode are when Angry Cass is put into proximity with people we care about yeah. without anyone knowing her true identity or knowing in what kind of danger that they're in. And this is maybe like the the best expression of that is like when Angry Cass is depended on to give life-saving aid to Tuvok and you can just tell like she's fucking with the clip show devices on his head. Yeah, it seemed like she turned it up to 11, right? Yeah. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's really scary. Yeah. Later, Tuvok is is sedated, and Janeway's there to see what Tuvok's come into contact with. You remember that scene where she asked the computer to keep an eye on him? They, like, have a report generated by the computer, and it's that report that indicates it's tachyons that have been swirling his verity during the time of these hallucinations. What mean tachyons, Ben? Time travel. Time travel? Exactly. This confirms all the suspicions that they had before about uh, Tuvok's visions. But you don't get the sense that that gets them any further toward understanding what's going on because Janeway walks right out and walks up to Kess and is like, hey, so like you're also sort of telepathic. Like, are Mm -hmm. you experiencing any of this stuff? It's interesting, like, later season, Kess, I think they would have hit up more often with a, hey, what do you think, Kess, mm-hmm. kind of question. But early season, Kess, they almost completely ignored in this way. Yeah. So it does seem kind of novel that Janeway would ask the question here. You know who else is getting ignored, though? Fucking Vorik. Yeah. What's up with Vorik? Vorik's having a really bad day off screen. <laughs> He's also hallucinating, but it's like, he's like remembering year of hell and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Angry Kess uh, denies feeling any differently over the last few days. And after this, Angry Kess has a meeting with that Vidian from before yeah. on FaceTime. This Vidian's getting pretty lippy for a guy without really anything to bargain with. He's just a guy who's going to get a lot of great intelligence information for basically nothing in return. Well, he's also getting lippy because he's harvested a lot of lips lately and he's been just kind of adding them to himself. Yeah. The lip consumption grows ever greater the more they have to have these conversations. That's that's why he's so impatient. He looks especially necrotic for a Vidian, don't you think? Hey, Ben, is this the standard of beauty in Vidian culture? Like, the more grotesque you look, maybe that's what makes you captain? Yeah. It's it's the most beautiful Vidian gets to be in charge. Yeah. And their beauty standards are sort of the opposite of ours. The deader, the better. Ugh. So they get attacked by this Vidian ship, and Cass is, like, transmitting the tactical information to them, and we get to see those grappling hooks clamp onto Voyager. I thought this whole sequence was really cool. Like, the the special effects and the way they rendered these scenes looked great to me. And when those grappling hooks grab onto Voyager, it can't break free. Because grappling hooks are strong. They really are. I like the implied kinetic energy of like something being shot with weight at another starship and it kind of bouncing off of the hull a little bit. There's like, it's not just a projectile it's like something grabbing in a really interesting way like a thoughtful way effects wise all of the physics of these moments are really effective and really Mm -hmm. feel like big ships doing big stuff to each other they're just doing big ship shit yeah just doing big ship 
shit with my friends. And he smokes with cigarettes. There's some Vidians that think it's fun to do bad things that are boarding the ship, so Ensign Wildman and Doc Holloday get ready to deploy their neural agent, but their computer's not working. And they trace this to the Aeroponics Bay, where Angry Kess is uh, is doing her bad stuff. It would have been really fun if, like, once the realization drops that, like, someone is double-crossing us, like, they have their shield frequencies, they have they have answers to every possible defense Voyager has. If Janeway suspects someone else... <laughs> God damn it, Harry Kim! <laughs> it was you, Harry Kim, I knew it! <laughs> <laughs> Harry Kim, stop betraying us to the Vidians. Like, if her guess was just wrong, that would be amazing. <laughs> there are three things to remember about being a Starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in, go down with the ship, and do it. So she's like... I, I'm leaving the bridge during a very exciting moment again so mm-hmm. she can go down to the aeroponics bay and it's like firefighting through the ship with Vidians shooting their organ harvesting guns at them. Meanwhile, Angry Kess wakes up Kess Prime and starts trying to move her because all of her controls have been shut off. She can't do the site-to-site transport she was trying to do. Yeah. And uh, Janeway catches her in the act of moving the other Cass. That's got to be awkward, right? Yeah. I swear I was just I was just moving her. I was just trying to live out my lifelong ambition. <laughs> you know there had to be some thought in like is Janeway going to carry the dustbuster or the big giant rifle? If you're negotiating with someone, you want to carry the dustbuster, right? Yeah. This is less aggressive looking. It's really hard to get cooler heads to prevail when you're waving a rifle around. <laughs> yeah. Kess freshens up Janeway, knocks her against a wall, and uh, tries to make a break for the door. But there's a firefight out there, and you don't see any of it but just the phaser beams going back and forth, which I really liked. It's great. Yeah, you just have to shoot coverage in the hallway. Yeah. Even I could do that. Now Angry Kess reveals why she is so angry. And this is a very interesting scene. She has thought about the young person that she was when she made the decision to leave Ocampa and go with the Voyager crew and feels as though she was manipulated into doing that and as though this rosy image of people who explore strange new worlds and seek out new civilizations was essentially grooming. Like she, her life has been ruined and she's been taken away from her people unfairly by people that you know were more sophisticated than her and and had more power than her and that she regrets all of it and she herself can't get home because she's too old and she's grown too powerful she would be rejected by her culture but she can forestall a terrible mistake for a younger version of herself it seems so hopeful when they sent her away in that episode right like She'd become so powerful freshening things up. Like it was an agreement that that she was almost too dangerous to keep aboard. She had to go practice freshening up somewhere else and go on her own adventures and stuff. Yeah. And it's not like she didn't want to do that. It's not like she went against her will. But like what she describes is time away 
recognizing that she could not figure out how to freshen things up without hurting people. And she blames Janeway and the crew for putting her down that path. And what I understood her plan to be was that if she took young Cass and like took her back to the Okampan planet, yeah. it would get Cass out of the timeline where she hitched that ride on Voyager, remove that one from the table, right. and then the bad timeline won't happen. And she is rip shit pissed at the Voyager for having put her in a position of having to do this. It's a very intense scene because, like, we're cutting back and forth from this to, like, Chakotay and everybody up on the bridge, like, fighting the Vidian ship and, you know, trying to break free of these grapples. Am I reading too much into this in a film paper kind of way where, like, the sequence is cutting back and forth from a story of a character talking about, you know, leaving their home and feeling pulled away? Mm-hmm. wanting to return to like scenes of grappling hooks, yanking pieces of hull plating off of the ship in a very, you know, dramatic and and painful way. Is that giving you too much credit? No, I think I think that's very intentional and I think that's a good read. This scene where Chakotay's the captain and he figures out a way to get the ship free of these hooks and then gets one of the great Chakotay fires of all time. Like Seriously. <laughs> I was so hyped up at this. Like, <laughs> please give him a fire. Give him a fire. He gets a fire. Yeah. Fire! They send a full volley of torpedoes at this Vidian ship. Everybody that's been knocked down on the floor, down in the aeroponics bay, gets up. And it's like, like Janeway and Kes are like trading blows. And it's Janeway firing her phaser and Kes firing her freshen up mind ray. Mm-hmm. To the point where Janeway cranks the phaser up to 11 and hits Cass with a beam that's set to old. How badly did you want this to be the Remick setting from Conspiracy? <laughs> <laughs> Just explodes her head and her torso. <laughs> These air panic plants are soon going to be feasting on something besides air. <laughs> Entrails. It's what plants crave. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, her birdie turns into an old birdie. Yeah. And uh, when she checks in with Chakotay, he's like, yeah, I think things are stable for the moment. Later in engineering, Tuvok uh, demonstrates to Janeway what Kess did in there. Yeah. She used the power of the warp core for time travel reasons. And uh, that means that a time-traveling Kess could always have that available to her. Kind of a scary thought. They make a plan to be ready. And this plan is hatched in Six Bay, where Janeway turns off Doc Holliday. And just she and Tuvok talk to Kess Prime about what to do going forward to prevent angry Kess from doing this to the ship again. And so uh, we smash cut back to Tuvok's birthday party from the beginning of the episode, the birthday party that he was none too thrilled to have been sprung on him. We get the distress call. They go out to the bridge, and it plays a little different this time. Yeah. Janeway realizes that this is the thing that they made the plan for, and she orders Deck 11 evacuated. She's not telling anybody what's going on. Like, Chakotay keeps going, like, are you sure? And she's like, yes, I'm sure. 
That's what we're doing. Let me ask you a question. Like, we see a lot of the same footage all over again of Kess boarding the ship. Yeah. Do you wish that we just heard that instead of saw it? I thought the repetition of the scene exactly bumped me. But if we stay on the bridge and we just hear the bangers happen. Yeah. I think that would have been fun. I think for the time, it was such an exciting effect that they're like, we can use this again. Yeah. This is Star Trek making Star Trek for value. Yeah. Once again. But so uh, just Janeway and Tuvok join Burlap Kess in engineering and a holographic representation of Kess Prime appears. And it's sort of a like, hey, if you're watching this, I'm dead, but you're here. (laughs) And here's what I want you to know about me. Hey, seems like you're about to not treat Voyager like a lady. And thus, <laughs> it will not be taking you home. That it was unusual that, like, Kess could have been given an infinite amount of time to record this message, and it is extremely truncated into, like, a 10-second snippet that's like, hey, try to remember the good times. Yeah. It wasn't all bad, right? Right? Okay. See ya. Gonna give it to Janeway from here. I really hope Janeway's in the room right now. There's coffee in that hollow recording because you didn't want this to happen again. Yeah, I mean, it almost seemed like it was made just to be enough of a distraction that Burlap Kess would give Janeway and Tuvok enough time to get down there. Yeah. Janeway invites Burlap Kess to stay on the ship and continue the voyages. I think it really says a lot that at no point in this plan is Neelix involved. Yeah. As a manipulative device, like as a, well, you're the closest to her. Like, if anyone could speak to her soul, it's you. That is not on the table. This Kess remembers making that hollow recording, but had pushed the memory down so deep and gotten so consumed by her anger that uh, she was surprised to see it. Yeah. It's really sad that, uh, that she's been having such a bad time off the Voyager. She doesn't describe a lot of her bad time again. Like, she gets a couple of scenes where I think that's available to her. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really describe it with much detail. She just says that they were, like, angry and confusing years. Yeah. And it seems like maybe she could still go home. This part, I don't think, was as clear as I had hoped. Yeah. I was like, okay, so... Where is she going to go? And how is she going to get there? In the transporter room, they're like wishing her goodbye. And Neelix gets another chance to say goodbye. And Neelix won't stop staring. Why don't you stop staring, Neelix? <laughs> and she beams away and we see that uh, that it's her own ship she was beamed to. And it cruises away. That's the end of the episode. What do you think of this one, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like women. I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I really complicated feelings about this one. I think it's really well executed across the board. Like it's exciting and it moves, and the special effects were really great, and the dilemma was so interesting. But I found myself sort of wondering what it was trying to say because bingo the closest comparison I could come up with for what 
old Kess was angry about was like grooming, like being too young to consent to or make informed decisions about the things that were happening in her life when she was on board the Voyager and having been then kind of let go into a cruel, cold universe that didn't have anything for her and that she had even less guidance in than she had when she was aboard. And when she comes back to redress this as a grievance, she is confronted just with like a tape recording of her younger self going like, I'm happy and this is good. And like, there's lots of people that in their young life would have said, I'm happy and this is good. And then unpack those times later in a therapeutic context or just, you know, in remembering them and realize that there was a lot about it that was actually horrible, you know? Yeah, I'm with you, Ben. I think this might be another case of like a Star Trek episode not really having full conviction or full confidence in in the reasons a character is doing a thing. Like to get two moments in the episode for Kess to very clearly state what is wrong with her and why she's feeling the way she is for all those years away and to not be able to articulate it, I think makes this episode ultimately dissatisfying. Like, I needed a why to this, and I just didn't get it. Like, yeah. I understand you're upset, Kess. Like, everyone can see that. You're <laughs> freshening up everyone you see out here. You freshened up Miriam Hallways. But like, you gotta help us help you. Like, give us some detail. And, and that she's just angry and confused. I don't know, like make it biological, make it like the pace of her aging has advanced in such a way that like it makes her dangerous and destructive. You know, maybe her practice being out in that shuttle was about, you know, trying to get a handle on those things before they before they consumed her. But there's no like tradition or history of the Ocompans that would suggest that that's a part of what she's going through. Yeah. I just wanted a reason more than what we got. And I think that really would have helped this episode because it really had a lot of interesting ideas. You know? I agree. And the grooming thing that I think we're both picking up on is also such a like current topic of conversation in the discourse or whatever that I feel like it was hard to read that as anything but, but maybe that wasn't like quite how it was intended in this episode. So I, I I don't think there was any chance it was intended in this episode. Yeah, so I, I sort of feel like it, it it must have hit really different in the day it came out, but it's really hard for me to like cast my mind back to that mindset. So uh-huh. it's an episode that didn't sit super well with me from a message standpoint, but in terms of like production and execution, uh, highest marks. What did you understand? was going to happen to Kess after the credits. Like, I think this was another part of the episode that kind of bumped me. was like, she got really angry and confused being by herself on that shuttle. So the answer to that is like putting her back on the shuttle <laughs> and sending her to an Ocompan planet that she is positive would not accept her. Yeah, I mean, like, that is interrogated a little bit. Like, what it is, what it, about the Ocompans leads you to believe that there's no way that they would accept you. I mean, I know that it was like a kind of closed and conservative society, but... I think a couple of freshen-ups could change their mind. Yeah, yeah. 
Now I'm your Ocampin queen. Uh-huh. And anybody that doesn't like that can catch some of this freshness. Ocampin queen. Fresh in everything. You don't want to make me mad. So she's also kind of like the Hulk in this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, that w- that should have been the credit sequence. She gets back into her ship, and they play the piano suite from <laughs> the old Incredible Hulk TV show. <laughs> 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 with that change alone, this is an apex episode. This is like on the mountain with that. <laughs> it's a good punch up. Do you want to see if there's anything in the priority one inbox? Oh, yeah. I, I don't think anything's going to make me angry in there. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. That message goes like this. Many FODs are enjoying the Miriam benefits of legal cannabis. But did you know that hundreds of thousands of people are still arrested for simple possession in the United States every year? Or that cannabis consumers in legal states still face discrimination in unemployment, housing, education, child custody, and more? If this isn't the utopian future you want... Go to normal.org slash TGG and donate today. Your support helps us fight to end cannabis prohibition and repair the harm it has done to millions of lives. So this is a message from Normal, N-O-R-M-L, and uh, they're advocates for jazz enthusiasts at the federal, state, and local level. Wow. It looks like uh, Morgan, who sent this message, was at the DC show. Yeah. Based on some, some notes in here. That's great. So find out more and support this great organization by going to norml.org slash TGG. That's great. Thanks, Morgan. Thanks for that message. Definitely a cause we can get behind. And uh, yeah, it's it's whack how many lives have been ruined by like incredibly stupid drug arrests for simple possession. Adam, our next priority one message is from Captain Catherine Janeway, and it's to the crew of the Starship Voyager, and it goes like this. We're alone in an uncharted part of the galaxy. We've made some friends here and some enemies. We have no idea of the dangers we're going to face, but one thing is clear. Both crews are going to have to work together if we're going to survive. That's why Commander Chakotay and I have agreed that this should be one crew. A Starfleet crew. And the camera pans down to Chakotay's hand and he breaks a pencil. <laughs> what do you think are the chances that this could have been a, a Mayquis crew? Mayquis? Mm. How hard do you think Chakotay was riding for that? Were they just outnumbered? Was that was that the only thing? Yeah. Yeah, but like a little carve out, you know, on the board of directors or whatever. Right, yeah. That makes some sense. Keep the peace. You know, a bunch of non-voting shares. <laughs> ben, we got a second priority one message here, kind of related to the first. This one's from Captain Catherine Janeway. It's to the crew of the Starship Voyager. That message goes like this. We'll seek out new worlds and explore space. But our primary goal is clear. Even at maximum speeds, it would take 75 years to reach the Federation. But I'm not willing to settle for that. We'll be looking for wormholes, spatial rifts, 
or new technology to help us. Somewhere along this journey, we'll find a way back. Mr. Paris, set a course for home. So I, I think that's just the the straight line from that pilot episode, right? Yeah. No edits? No. It's good stuff. It's nice. Yeah, feels good to remember how we got ourselves here. Yeah, and nice uh, on this particular episode. That's a, a good bit of time mm-hmm. travel for us. Time travel. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks to everyone who got a Priority One message. Whether you're a time traveler or not, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to set one up today. We really appreciate it. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I'm going to give it to the doctor for uh, reprising his role as annoying doctor. Hmm? Computer deactivated image. That had to be fun, right? Yeah. I think that that might be low-key one of the trickiest acting lifts in the episode. And I think the reason for that is that his character seems to have undergone the most character change over the mm-hmm. over the seasons. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very noticeable what a different type of guy he was back then. So, uh, I don't know, it really amused me. Uh, I thought he did a great job with it, and uh, he is my drunk Shimoda. He really has grown to kind of read the room. A little better. Yeah. Ben, my Shimoda is Chakotay. The enthusiasm with which he fires the torpedoes, really unmatched. I crave it. I crave it so often. (laughs) Ultimate payoff here when he shoots those bad boys. Uh, I just loved it. Like, I think Robert Beltran really... This is all he's got left, really, as an actor on Voyager. <laughs> the occasional torpedo fire, and uh, he really does a great job here in this scene. It was a bigger, better episode for him than we've had in a long time. Yeah, you just had to time travel back to uh, past Chicote <laughs> to get a little more character development out of him. That's what we got. <laughs> Why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game and uh, fire up the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, while I tell you about season six, episode 24, Lifeline, the doctor seizes the opportunity to save the life of the man who created him. How's he going to do that? (laughs) Fuck if I know, man. How, How does he even know he needs saving? I'm confused. Yeah, yeah maybe Barkley gets back in touch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't love that. Don't love that. I mean, I know we're going to make a great episode out of whatever this is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to turn off Friends of DeSoto to the next episode. Maybe something that will turn them on is how we will experience it. For that, I'm going to go to the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Caretaker, where I can tell you right now, our runabouts on square 90... Save on! One square ahead, a space butthole that would take us to an nth degree up. Three squares ahead. A Morn Hammered Power Hour. Beyond that, I think what happens if I roll something something greater, I think we just go back to the first row. I think that's how the game works. I don't know. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Let's find out what happens. Ben, I have rolled a two. Woo! Chula! <laughs> Did I win? Hardly. And that means 
We're in between Morn Hammered and the Spaced Butthole at square 99. A regular old episode for us. How about that? That is spicy. My goodness. I am happy that next week is going to be a regular old episode, though. I need a little more time to recover from uh, from all of the jet lag and uh, tour tiredness before I do a power hour. Although, uh, a friend of DeSoto brought us uh, shot glasses uh-huh. on the road, so I guess we could finally do a power hour where I have a shot glass, right? Yeah, that's how we do I it. I guess we've received other shot glasses. Maybe I have done one with an actual shot glass before. Yeah. I don't. I, I mean, I wouldn't remember, obviously. If we get to a power hour ep, uh, we should do that episode together. That'd be fun. That would be really fun. Well, this has been a load of fun overall, Adam, and uh, I sure appreciate all the folks who support the show by going to MaximumFun.org slash join, without whom none of this would really be possible. Got to thank Wendy Pretty for producing and editing all of the stuff that we do here at Greatest Gen. She's the greatest and uh, has a full-time job with benefits because of the largesse of the Friends of DeSoto. I mean, she would be, she's like super employable. She would have a full-time job with benefits without the Friends of DeSoto. Yeah, she could leave at any time. She says it often. Yeah, she has a full-time job with benefits at a company that she actually likes working for. Right. Yeah, pretty great. We got to thank the great Bill Tilly, the card daddy who runs our social media, and Adam Ragusea, who made our original theme music, the Janeway song. Of course, riffing on the work of the one and only Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song. Uh, all of the folks that uh, support this show in one way or another are deeply appreciated. You know, uh, one of the best parts of being out on tour is meeting so many friends of DeSoto, and so often we hear from them, thank you for creating the communities that we've met so many friends, or or in some cases, like, partners. Yeah. Or whatever, and... I just want to say, like, we we did not make those communities. Like, the FODs did and do, and it's just amazing that they exist as such positive, great places for for so many. It's We're like a bit of grit inside of an oyster, mm-hmm. and the communities of Friends of DeSoto are the pearl that formed around that, that grit. We met some folks from the Fuck Bokai Facebook group. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you figure out what that group is for uh, just just amazing every day I'm learning about a new group of FODs who have assembled around a unifying theory or idea or type of fun and it's just great Yeah, find them uh, hashtag greatest gen is, is how you find most of them with that we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager, where Adam and I have a unique opportunity to save the life of Adam and I by not drinking so much beer. Because <laughs> it's not going to be a more enamored episode. That's <laughs> not. Yeah. Keep them on ice. Yeah. Make it so. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.